I think of soul retrievals as just the, the process of going back and understanding and dismantling the agreement you've made in the past to make yourself smaller. And I never tell anybody to do anything. But with clients, I say, I want to give you an invitation to stop reading business books or mm-hmm. stop reading books about meditation mm-hmm. and sit and commune with your soul every day because your soul is the filter that's going to tell you which part of this information is authentic for you and which isn't. Otherwise, we're just taking everyone's frames and putting them on again because we're talking so much about being in our own experience. Mm-hmm. It to me is really hard to imagine really doing the work and growing without some version of sitting with yourself. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. When it comes to confidence and feeling a-okay with showing vulnerability and trying to avoid the sneaky snares of the imposter syndrome, we often feel at odds, torn between the parts of us that say, who do you think you are? and the parts of us who know who we are. Self-doubt and inadequacy can creep in and color the most assured parts of us at times. But what's really at play here? We know it's an inside job to keep ourselves clear-headed and attuned with our inner knowing, regardless of what the world throws our way in terms of perceptions, biases, and double standards. How can we be steeled in the face of these things without being an ice queen. While most leaders experience imposter syndrome, women generally are known for their own variety of getting in their own way in this regard. One of the ways this shows up is that they often will dive into a project or opportunity more slowly than men because they think they need more credentials first. Another class, another certification, an MBA on top of what they have already rightly achieved academically or professionally. But consider the high-achieving CEO who identifies as a woman who still feels less than the male colleagues in her network. How is it possible to be so accomplished and feel so shaky? How have high achievers recognized this in themselves and employed the right self-management when the inner voice tries to get the best of them. Many women leaders in the tech-dominant space perceive that they have to be more assertive or strong in their executive team seat to match the other energies in the room. And, while this stance doesn't feel authentic, they feel the skewed weight of that external metric on, quote, how one should be, end quote, or what it takes to be seen and heard. We often hear our clients ask, is it okay that I want to lead differently than my male superiors? What does it look like to be even more effective without working harder because I can't work harder? How can I show heart and vulnerability and still be taken seriously? So how do we, as women, stay in our own bodies, hold fast to our own truths, and not view ourselves through the eyes and expectations of others in the world at large. Who do you choose to be? What life do you want to lead? 
Recorded on Halloween 2019. In this conversation, I am joined by Anne Mel, Heather Jassy, and Miriam Mima. We jump right in to talking about the masks we feel we need to wear, how imposter syndrome grips us, and all that gets in the way of us feeling our inherent enoughness. This is Anne Neal, and I'm an executive coach based out of Manhattan. This is Miriam Mima. I'm a coach and facilitator. This is Heather Jassy. I'm a coach and facilitator. And I'm Allie, one of Reboot's co-founders and also coach and facilitator. And then this poem came to me this week, actually. How to triumph like a girl. I like the lady horses best, how they make it all look easy. Like running 40 miles an hour is as fun as taking a nap or grass. I like their lady horse swagger after winning. Ears up, girls, ears up. But mainly, let's be honest. I like that they're ladies, as if this big, dangerous animal is also part of me, that somewhere inside the delicate skin of my body, there pumps an eight-pound female horse heart, giant with power, heavy with blood. Don't you want to believe it? Don't you want to lift my shirt and see the huge beating genius machine that thinks... No, it knows it's going to come in first. That's perfect. It just hits the heart of it. I mean, so many women that we know, I think ourselves included, I don't, what we are leaning into is knowing and trusting our knowing that's always been there. But when imposter syndrome comes in, it's, it's literally the hardest thing to find it's still there. It's just hard to connect to and hard to trust. And I love this poem and how it speaks to the unwaveringness of our, our truth that's, that is always there. Heather, when <clears throat> I have to pre-apologize for my hoarse voice, but um, when the imposter syndrome topic you know, was surfaced, I was thinking about a conversation we had a long time ago related to this, and you had brought forward a book that you're a fan of. Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. I have yeah. it sitting right here. Mm. Okay, uh, yeah. Val- Valerie Young. It's the greatest book. And I've given, I've given mm. uh, this book to so many people. Every woman I've ever managed directly. I think, you know, one of the things she, she, she really nails is, is talking about how um, imposter syndrome doesn't really show up as imposter syndrome. People say, you know, I don't have imposter syndrome I just really feel like I fooled everybody and I'm going to get caught. Right. (laughs) It shows up as different language that feels incredibly valid. It feels like a very rational friend who's speaking to you and it, and it, uh, mine shows up uh, something that starts with a, who do you think you are? I think everybody has their own version of how that voice shows up for them. But yeah, I pulled out some of the, uh, some of the phrases that people can use with imposter syndrome. Um, who do you think you are? Sure. I'm successful, but I can explain all of that. <laughs> you know, yeah. someone made a terrible mistake. I had a lot of help. Uh, people feel sorry for me. Um, sometimes it's people just really like me. Well, I just had connections. Wait till next time I'm going to get found out and just generally minimizing successes as a fluke are some of the ways in which imposter syndrome show up. There are a few great quotes. I'm sorry. I'm just going to be with this book. Um, (laughs) Maya Angelou said, 
I've written 11 books, but each time I think, uh oh, they're going to find out now. I've run a game on everyone. They're going to find me out. Mm-hmm. Meryl Streep. So she gets cold feet at the beginning of every new project, telling a reporter, you think, why would anyone want to see me again in a movie? I don't even know how to act anyway, so why am I doing this? I mean, one thing we've discussed in this podcast already is just this idea that when imposter syndrome shows up for men, and according to Valerie Young, it's not nearly as often, in which I believe very strongly, it shows up differently. And, and really with men, you're just sort of learning like, hey, this is a thing in your that you have learned. It's a voice in your head that we have to, to dismantle by looking into our demons, but it's not, it's not reality. And with women, we have this complex double layer of this where it's like, there's the imposter syndrome and dismantling sort of um, the mythology about yourself that you've accumulated through your life. And then there's the societal piece on top of that, where people really are judging your tone. They really are making assumptions about you because of your gender or your race or your socioeconomic background. And so there's just, there are a lot of layers in there to unpack. So it's in your head, but it's also true. When you were saying Heather, that yours shows up as, can you say it again? The phrase of who are you? Who do you think? Yeah. I think that voice usually shows up for me as well. Who do you think you are? Yeah. Yeah. Like what you were saying that a lot of people, it's just like, oh no, I don't have imposter syndrome. I'm just worried I'm going to be found out. And a version of that, that I hear from clients quite a bit is I just don't belong here. I don't feel like I fit in, which I think is a very female thing of how can I be myself and be here? And the the tension of that uh, is another version of what is labeled imposter syndrome. Yeah, in observation and experience, it seems as though um, these feelings are particularly triggered in moments of vulnerability, feeling exposed, um, which is why often people will not put themselves out there because this these are the things that come to the forefront. So, you know, if we're in the lane we've always been using the same muscles we've always used, you know, maybe we don't feel as much of that. There's a feeling of competence, but when we start to really take risks, these feelings really come flooding to the forefront. Mm-hmm. I've seen it really grip people, powerful, capable, impressive humans that are slowly crippled by the, their their inner demons that kind of root, have roots in, in this conversation around who am I to be here. Mm which is really a sad thing to see someone so capable doubt themselves and therefore start to get in their own way. Yeah, I think that it's amazing that there's a few different other books, one that I've read called The Confidence Code by Katie Kay and Claire Shipman, and they highlight the science and art of self-assurance and what women should know specifically. And a lot of the interviews they've done are with professional athletes and actors and people that, you know, in their own right, you would separate yourself from and say, they've got to have reached this potential that they, they know themselves or they trust themselves or they're much more confident than me. And yet they've got the same scripts playing inside, even mm-hmm. with all the achievements they've had. So I love that because it neutralizes, oh, okay, we all, we all truly feel this at different stages. But most of us do at some stage or you're on the precipice of something. And even with all the accolades and achievements you've already uh, received, 
you're at a new frontier and therefore it comes up again. Mm -hmm. And then what to do with it is a big question. You know, do you, do you stay put? Do you uh, sort of dismantle something that could be your potential next move because of that fear? Um, do you deflect or do you name it and then try to work with it and hold it along with the change you're going to, you know, step into? And to one of your earlier questions, is, I think it was just kind of an open question of what do you do with it when it when this energy shows up? Mm. We want to label it imposter syndrome. Do you sit with it? Do you work with it? And I want to throw out a few things that I lean into, and I'm curious what what everyone else has tried or what you like to use as tools with your clients. But I believe it's usually highlighting some sort of healing that's ready to happen so when intense fear or self-doubt shows up it's revealing something that was there that's ready to be witnessed even more fully and and some aspect of myself or some aspect of my belief systems that's ready to shift but it requires kind of turning towards it i think of confidence as a track record of success and I, and i just need to remind myself that i have earned this place or I've, I am worthy of fill in the blank um, to Heather's question of who am I to blank. I actually need to answer that question for myself or help other people answer that question for themselves. I can offer, uh, I like writing exercises uh, for myself and for clients. And so one of them I might do is called defining moments and what I ask a client to do is to think of an occasion when they found something in themselves that they didn't know they had or forgot they had, and they pulled it out. And as a result, that it changed an outcome from, say, negative to positive, like a moment when they either said, yes, I will, or no, I won't, <laughs> like when they drew a line maybe or even erased one if it was needed to be done. And the concept is like it, this moment is a time when they may have, as they um, reflect on it, when they may uh, have n thought of themselves in not the, quite the same way. So they're proud of themselves or they stretched in the process. And when they write this down and they describe it back to me, usually it's like they, they sort of sit up straight almost, you know, they kind of, as we talk about, take their seat. Mm -hmm. And the reason I have them write these is we easily forget them. Mm -hmm. And when you have them in one place, like I've had clients put it in their desk drawer. And even if it doesn't relate to the moment where they're feeling shaky, so they have to go into a board meeting or something that feels like they're on stage, I ask them to just take a quick review of those times. Because I think it still has the same effect when you hardwire back to um, a time when you were brave or a time when you were, you know, it didn't even have to be climbing Everest, I say, you know, it could be as simple as I asked somebody to stop talking to me a way that they were talking to me and they felt like they drew a line in the sand as a, for instance. So they're defining moments. I think they need reminders of, and they're usually very unique and they don't have to be humongous feats. They can be quiet moments where they really felt strong about themselves. And I feel like that brings you back to your stronger self, even if it's an unrelated, you know, um, time from what you're you're headed into so i used to feel it in my early career when i'd sit around a table with it was at the time all men and, and it was recruiting and it was pretty intense like a sales job 
And at times I felt in over my head. And what I would access at, if I had this kind of a morning was if I had a morning where I was proud of myself for showing up to Central Park and going for a run or making it to a morning yoga class or something, I would access that in the moment. That would be my morning defining moment. It had nothing to do with the subject at hand, but I could stay in the room because of it, you know, in, in more of a, and less in the, listening to the narrative that, uh, you know, I'm not worthy and more the narrative of um, watch me now, or I got this, you know, I got this from another part of myself. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, when I work with this with clients, when I work with this in myself, you know, I feel like normalizing these feelings, it it just has this magical effect of neutralizing the shame around this. Mm -hmm. So when we say, of course you like, of course I feel this way. I'm human, right? Hearing that Meryl Streep also feels that way. And Maya Angelou also feels this way. And that, 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 every leader, every female leader I interact with, a lot of them feel this way, right? And, and that um, this is a reaction to something societal that isn't about you. And it also um, is a reaction to feeling vulnerable and feeling like a stranger in a strange land, right? There are there a lot of pieces to this. And so the more that we can um, just normalize these feelings and not think, that we have to, they have to be absent for us to be able to move forward. We can, we can develop a greater tolerance for just doing what we need to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Notice the thing and do it anyway. You know, I resist, you know, the self-esteem myth around it that I just have to build myself up and develop confidence because I, I feel, you know, as though as long as we're attached to the idea that we always have to feel confidence in order to do something, we're still um, attaching our ability to move forward to some sort of condition that has to be present, right? So it's more about like understanding I can experience this vulnerability. It's an essential part of being human. And I don't, it doesn't have to, I can just notice it, have awareness about it gain an awareness of, of how that film strip is running in my head <laughs> and step past it. And so I think the work there is really learning to identify and discourse with it, you know, have a discourse that is like, um, I love all the, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy models around like learning to have a discourse and state it as preferences instead of like, okay, well, I would prefer instead of saying, I can't, feel imposter syndrome. I can't feel these feelings. I won't survive it. We say, well, like I prefer not to feel this way, but I feel this way and it doesn't have to stop me from doing anything. Mm-hmm. Or like, well, who the hell do you think you are to tell me I can't, I can't do it anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, I love it when I talk that way to myself. <laughs> and so, it, you know, to me, the work is really just like learning to live in dialogue with this thing. And, you know, as I say to clients all the time and to myself everything I say to clients I say to myself as well I'll try to um you know growth doesn't mean we never feel the thing again it just means often that we recognize it a lot faster and get back on track so what may have taken me 10 months of agita my I might figure out in two hours this time right it's just like oh gosh I'm doing that thing stop talking to yourself that way girl get up get back on track mm-hmm. and there's a faster shift but it doesn't, I don't know. I, I mean, 
I think we tend to, we, we get it. We feel vulnerable. We put ourselves out there. These old feelings are triggered. We have to work with them again. That's, that's the movement through life mm-hmm. for me. And so if I get a little faster at spotting it or, you know, it shows up in a different form and I recognize it, that always feels like progress to me. Yes, that's very well said. I like the, the visual there, Heather, of like the observer to the thought, because mm-hmm. I think that's uh, really poignant, which is I sometimes say, um, if you can recognize that you're doing the loop again, you could say, oh, there we go. One of our greatest hits. Like, oh, I love that. Have a bit of, <clears throat> excuse me, levity with it, you know, mm. but then it doesn't own you because it's outside of you. You know, you're looking down at it into, you know, your, your mind's eye and it's, it, you're not, um, um, enmeshed with it as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had this brilliant client who came to me for a session with the horses and we were talking about her inner critic and it's like, well, what, what do you call them? What do you call this, this voice, this cacophony of voices that comes up? And she's like, I call them the shitty committee. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm feeling into the people that in this moment might be f- hearing those voices and not yet know that it's a shitty committee, mm-hmm. which is getting back to something we were talking about earlier of just really kind of buying into or believing those voices. And I'm just, it's just hitting my heart right now. So I, I just mm-hmm. wanted to give voice to that and honor that it's not always easy to distinguish between me, my true self, and then the shitty committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think there's, you know, Heather, you were saying your voices will say, well, who do you think you are? And all the intonations around the who do you think you are voice and mm. how, sh- how that committee of, of words flying at you can just shatter the, but who do I know I am? Mm-hmm. As you were feeding that back, that question of who do I think I am? just heard it differently this time and I thought what a great question but just with a different tone it's like yeah who do I think I am right I mean it's just amazing how we the tone has such a powerful impact and just depending on if if that question is rooted in a a place of shame or doubt or or curiosity it's like I don't know who do I think I am who am I yeah I've also heard this show up with women in a different form, which is around ambition. And um, it, it can show up as uh, maybe the person says, you know, people are telling me I'm ambitious and I'm not ambitious. I just want to do good things in the world. Mm-hmm. And so we go toward I'm not as opposed to what's wrong with that. Mm-hmm. It feels like this is a theme I feel show up a lot. I, I observe it showing up a lot. So you're saying that people are, le- are resistant to being ambitious? Being labeled ambitious, identifying with being ambitious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what that might suggest about them. Mm-hmm. Does that relate back to something that Heather, you and I talked about in the first little intro episode about uh, tall poppy syndrome? Mm. We talked about um, this question that was posed to me by a client. She said, you know, I feel like my only 
options here are to, you know, make myself smaller and make everybody really uncomfortable or be myself and have everybody hate me, mm-hmm. which is a really crappy set of choices. Mm-hmm. I think that sort of sums it up. Yeah. I remember my first coach when I was having versions of this, she was so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Great. This means you're on, you're living your path. If you weren't having these thoughts, if you weren't feeling such edgy reactions to the life that you've created for yourself, I would doubt whether you were actually on your path, but I want you to get really comfortable with this feeling because if you aren't feeling it, there's something to look at. <laughs> so it's quite a reframe for me. I love that. I say a different version of that, which is like, uh, you know, great. The discomfort is a sign you've outgrown your current situation. Mm-hmm. All that annoyance and irritation that you're feeling, <laughs> the constraints. It's a sign you've been doing your work, but it doesn't make it more pleasant. Yeah. I have to simultaneously eye roll and smile when I'm reminding (laughs) myself of these things, but it doesn't kind of loose. It doesn't instantly loosen the grip, but it does create some space. And then that's, it's a question of how practiced am I making use of that space between thoughts and making it bigger and bigger and bigger so I can find myself again. I think that's a key too, is being able to find yourself again. I picked a card while we were talking. Mm-hmm. What's the essence of this? And this is what I came up with. So it's inner goddess. Mm-hmm. It says, awaken the goddess within you through dance, self-care, and appreciating your divinity. I really have been playing with putting on music or doing kind of the opposing. Let me try and put this into words. Whatever I feel like doing, which might be hiding under the blankets and going into a little ball. Mm. What if I turn on music and dance instead and, and really kind of go against or work with the opposite of what Mm. feels natural in that moment. And from that place, get into a different mindset and approach the same question, which 100% of the time when I can shift my mindset, the rest begins to take care of itself. Mm. I love that. And as you're saying that, you know, one thing that's coming to me is that so much of what we're talking about is actually anxiety about anticipation of future outcomes Mm -hmm. and being pulled out of the present. And I think that Allie and I've been talking about this a lot in the podcast that so much of the challenge here is about being pulled out of your own experience into and looking at yourself through the gaze of others mm-hmm. as opposed to staying firmly rooted. So I love what you're saying, Mary, about being in the body, being in your experience. And it, it, it to me feels like there's this interesting path through this, which is on, on one hand, almost hyper rational saying, actually, this is a societal thing. This is really, it's really logical to have this set of feelings. I don't have to, to mess with it. I can dialogue with it. And then there's this other part that feels very primal, the other part of the work is like, I need to be firmly rooted in my experience. I need to steep in my own experience. I need to um, listen to my inner voice. I need to be alone with that and in that wildness. 
And so it's, it's sort of a, an, an interesting two-pronged approach through it, right? Mm-hmm. And the latter feels so much more feminine, mm-hmm. sitting with it, inquiring, not rushing yes. through it. Yes. Yeah. I keep getting this image of, um, of like a, a seed uh, breaking through or a plant breaking through the soil, mm-hmm. like emerging as if, you know, in those super vulnerable moments where we're at growth edges, right? We're moving into new spaces. Everything's like so fresh and new for us that that's naturally when all, all those fears are going to show up. You know, it's always, they always get louder when like Miriam, like you were saying, like, this is actually a good moment, you know, like, mm-hmm. Let's just notice how loud this stuff is getting and applaud like what the opportunity is here. But using the image of like a plant mm-hmm. um, that's just starting to like pop through the soil, like, man, if that thing listened to the voice of the shitty committee and like crawled back in the dirt, mm-hmm. we would have nothing. Mm-hmm. And there's something to growing vulnerably and, and, um, um, becoming your wholeness, right? Like you're in this constant process of becoming as a human mm-hmm. more and more, just like unfurling and unfolding into who you are that to almost listen to the voice of the, you know, imposter syndrome or the shitty committee or however it shows up. It feels almost tragic to me that it can take us down like that because mm-hmm. it just kind of, the rest of us are in a way like denied, like the gift that is the thing emerging. I'm a late comer to gardening. Um, you know, I've been, I see, I mean, there's so many great metaphors in it. And, and one of the ones that really struck me was, you know, just this idea that when you plant a tree, it doesn't really grow that much the first year because it's just developing a root system under the ground. Mm-hmm. Like all that effort is around getting firmly rooted, doing the work in it. And I don't know, every winter, I think there's no way this yard's coming back. Like everything disappears. It's under a blanket of snow and all winter, it's just gathering energy and feeding itself. And the work is invisible, but it's still happening beneath the soil. And it's just, I, 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 so many parallels um, to how the soul works. And sometimes it feels as though just doing this work. I'm dialoguing with myself, like writing in a, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do every day. And it just, I'm not seeing those, I'm not seeing spring yet, but you keep doing the work and that root system is developing and it's getting stronger. I think there's an inevitability to it when you do that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, like you said, it's that quiet internal dialogue that strength, mm-hmm. strengthens the roots and the, the tools that we use that build our, our resilience mm-hmm. and create that space, more space for us so that we don't, we stay with ourselves, which is mm-hmm. like, I don't know, in my, in my experience, probably the biggest lesson that's always in front of me. It's like, where do I lose myself? Mm-hmm. Where do I stay with myself? And as long yeah. as I have me. I am okay. Uh, when you were describing that, Heather, I was thinking about another coach was working with me at one time and she said, 
it was, I was getting on a call with someone probably, you know, senior level and I was doing the old, well, I don't know how I'm going to help this person script. And so she had me channel back to a time where I felt like I was in my element and I was myself and I was right where I needed to be to kind of, um, pull up, you know, those roots like you were describing mm. and, um, and the thought I had, I didn't, had no professional con con connection. You know, it wasn't a time that I, in my career per se, it was like a time I was there for my mom when she was in hospital, but it felt like I was so brave and I was so present and I was so needed and it was all right. And it wasn't even a positive moment really. So what's interesting is to look at too, as you describe, you know, connecting with just a garden as a relationship to where you are, I think sometimes it's also good to look at what does that imposter syndrome voice expect here? Because mm -hmm. the gems, you know, in this, in the way that I was surprised with my own memory, I think sometimes those confident places come in whispers. They're not grand achievements, perhaps they're not even positive. The connection to the body or the connection to being present or the, the you, you deserve to be here mm. could be tiny little passing moments but if you can access them they are real they're real they're gems they're not maybe huge they're not written about in the papers but mm -hmm. um so i like that reframe too as part of this is um kind of accessing your best self is like uniquely what does that look like and that and then just stay there don't mm -hmm. put upon it it has to look like x because that's chasing the the outer the external you know mm -hmm. I love, I love that. Anne. because I mean, I can't presume to know what your internal experience was at that time, but you're describing, you know, being there with your mom in the hospital and, and, you know, I love that that's something that feels private that's yours. And it's not about an award someone gave you or something, you know, like you to your point about it being something external because it, it's about like, um, success being defined on your own terms how you want to show up, what brave looks like for you and not, not how the world would say it has to look mm -hmm. like something private you're keeping for yourself. Mm -hmm. In a lot of the horse sessions that I do with folks, this, this can come up in a myriad, myriad of ways, but one of the key things that can happen is this, this lack of belief in, in a right to exist even and um, that that shows up actually in the arena with the horses as the horses not even realize like sensing the human that's there, mm -hmm. which is fascinating to watch. And then as soon as that human finds their feet and finds their roots and like starts kind of owning the, oh, wait, this is who I know I am, mm -hmm. then the horse starts interacting with them as if they're mm -hmm. actually there. Um, it's such a like an affirming moment because it's such a dramatic shift in in the whole experience for them, and it it can really just lift up how even something so basic as just a base the basic right to exist is is impaired in so many of us. Like we we have to build that back or find that for ourselves, and then you know, stay with ourselves and grow ourselves kind of out from that place. Mm -hmm. What I was thinking about earlier was how 
what we might call imposter syndrome leads to such predictable behavior and unhelpful. What I mean by that is I see my clients in the, a moment where they're feeling this doubt of themselves or they're not feeling connected to their, their true self or best self, they're more likely to feel like they're supposed to have the answers instead of feel, trusting that coming up with the right questions will help generate the solution that their team needs from them or that their presence matters or all the things that we as coaches know to be valuable, like presence, questions, listening, all of that. They abandon those skills and instead go into being a solution factory or um, feeling like they need to be really busy and filling their calendar. And so therefore they're not available and not accessible. And they begin to perpetuate this version of themselves, this persona that's got it all together and has it all figured out, which isn't actually that helpful because it's quite replaceable. If you're just trying to find someone to be more of like a solution factory. Mm. I love that, that, you know, it can show up as overwork and over-functioning on the small stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when we talk about vulnerability is when this stuff shows up, it can also mean to your point, filling up the calendar with the busy work and not making time and space for the bigger strategic work, Mm -hmm. which is, which is often empty space, right? Mm -hmm which can really trigger vulnerability for people. So you can imagine if you, if you show up with this idea of like, it's all a fluke, I'm going to get found out, just wait. (laughs) You know, those thoughts really drive you to want to function really hard and show how productive you can be. And that isn't necessarily the most helpful set of behaviors when you're trying to stretch into a greater leadership role. I I see that a lot in clients too. It's like, I'm going to read this and I'm going to read this and then I'm going to click on this link and I'm going to read all of this. I'm like, whoa, but it's interesting to watch the mind try to like ameliorate, right? Like this, these deep felt feelings of discomfort and unpleasantness and, you know, the feelings that feel like they're kind of attacking our, our very sense of self, right? Which all of those feelings are such an inside job that really nothing on the outside can really dislodge it like it takes that like going in and finding yourself i don't know if it's a soul retrieval but it feels like at least a self-retrieval mm. otherwise you know we get so lost in the mire voices from the outside that um the more we read the more we click on the more we listen to it but it doesn't matter you know you're just hung up more in the in the mires of thoughts and words that are really on the outside mm-hmm. I, you know, to that point about soul retrievals, you know, just, I think of soul retrievals as just the the process of going back and understanding and dismantling the agreement you've made in the past to make yourself smaller. Mm -hmm. Can you say that one more time? Mm. Going back to discover and dismantle the agreement that you made to make yourself smaller. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I never tell anybody to do anything. I try well other than my children, but, you know, (laughs) but with clients, I say, I want to give you an invitation to stop reading business books. Mm 
-hmm. or stop reading books about meditation Mm -hmm. and sit and commune with your soul every day. Mm-hmm. Because your soul is the filter that's going to tell you which part of this information is authentic for you and which isn't. Yes. That's, Boom. That's to me the craft. That is the masterwork of being human right there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're just taking everyone's frames and putting them on again because we're talking so much about being in our own experience. Mm-hmm. It to me is really hard to imagine really doing the work and growing without some version of sitting with yourself. Mm-hmm. There's no other way around it. Some version of sitting with myself, which for me is either journaling, meditating, dancing, mm-hmm. going for a walk, being in nature, or being with someone who I can be fully myself with without needing to make much sense <laughs> somehow. In the presence of those kinds of people, mm-hmm. I can come to new awareness. When I was a therapist, I noticed that people often called it going there. Like, I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. Some version of going there. And there's this real fear. And I've certainly experienced this in my life as well. There's such a fear of going there and what I might find. And that we have these ideas about what's under there in the shadows about ourselves. And that we actually go there and face that fear. We're actually like, oh, it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. And once you learn to go there and sit with it, it just reduces the fear of what you might find or uncover. Like, oh, yeah. Like, when you're pretty comfortable going there, Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to receive feedback mm-hmm. at work. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is stuff I need to work on. Like, I hear it. Just like, yeah, I'm I'm hearing these uncomfortable things. Like, I'm pretty aware of these things. These are things I need to work on. There's a different feeling when we're not going through life, like afraid to be uncovered at any moment. <laughs> There's really something dark under there, and we have to do whatever we can to keep it at bay. Mm-hmm. right what a relief what a relief exactly it really allows us to take out the noise so i think the noise is just trying to drown out the the call right the call to go there i do think sometimes it is difficult for people to find that for themselves or get to the place where they're present with um standing still yeah And I, you know, I had to really test my belief of this as a therapist because I I knew the only way out was by going there. Mm -hmm. And I would still be scared for people and I had to trust that process. Mm -hmm. That it's going to get a little, it's going to get a little more painful for a while. Mm -hmm. This coach I once had gave me this little equation I use all the time. It's P plus B equals C, pain plus vision equals change. Mm. Um, that, that if you're really trying to get people to overcome the difficulty of change, which humans tend to resist, you have to either intensify the amount of like an awareness of the amount of pain that they're currently experiencing in their current situation and pain of, of, uh, credible 
or or at least you know some sort of picture of the future that they can they can look toward because the abstract fear of the unknown is so compelling right and so I mean, I think this is why therapists, you know, make you sign the disclaimer that says this may get worse before it gets better because mm-hmm. you know, you're essentially got to step on the gas to feel the pain a little bit, right? Like, let's understand why your current situation, like just how deeply painful it is. Mm-hmm. Because if you haven't been going there, you may not even know how much pain you're really in. You're seeing some of the symptoms of it in your life. Mm-hmm but we have to feel, this is why we often resist it. Like, Oh, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to go there. Cause then I have to feel how miserable this job is making me. And then I have to do, maybe have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Or to your earlier point about the contract that we made with ourselves to be mm. small. I know so many people who want to feel connected to their family and if their family is of a certain socioeconomic status, excelling in their career, is actually feels like they're abandoning their roots. And so there's this tension between, can I still feel like I belong to my family and excel? As one example of the kind of thing that might be discovered as we turn inward. Yeah. Well, I think we all want to believe that if we just, if we grow and evolve as a human, everyone in our life is going to embrace that and just love it. We're all laughing. laughing. I don't think it always turns out to be so true. It does not. (laughs) There's always there. There's always that question of the ecology. Mm -hmm. My mentors at NLP Marin called it like the ecology question. Like, what might you lose that you value if you get this thing that you want? Mm -hmm. And um, and sometimes that thing that you value is like just belonging with your people or under like some relationship with your one of the parental units or some important caregiver in your life. And um, it's like those odd commitments that we make backwards. Mm-hmm. Like I will not be better than you, my key people or, you know, or family. I will. So, yeah, there's there's so much to unpack when we when we look and have the courage to look mm-hmm. what's really keeping us small and uh, caging our hearts, so to speak, in some ways. Mm-hmm. How are we all feeling right now? The only last thing on my mind is the untethered soul and how helpful that resource has been to cover a lot of the topics we've been talking about. What I got out of The Untethered Soul was there are either unconscious agreements that I've made or places in me that cause me to react really strongly when different circumstances present themselves. And it's not my job to go through life trying to change circumstances so that I don't feel triggered. It's actually my job to make myself less and less triggerable which means each of those spots where I get triggered is like a thorn. And I wanna find those thorns and actually learn to lovingly remove them rather than feeling like I wanna protect myself from having them be touched. That is the work. And I think too, um, part of the work and the kind of that masterful move um, in the craft of becoming human 
is to know that there's no X marks the spot, right? Like we never arrive at a place where we're like, oh, great, I don't have to look at that shit anymore. But it's the process of coming back and returning to. And even if you do venture out into the world and you get lost in the other voices that are out there and the noise and the et cetera, like you're able to track yourself back home and find your ground and find your roots. And Heather, as you said earlier, that uh, the time between going out and coming back can get smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. Well, and also you've built a map of how to get back. Mm -hmm. You've left some breadcrumbs for yourself. Oh, Great. But I understand that feeling and I've certainly had it like, oh, I just have to keep doing, I just have to keep doing these things. And the form may change, but the formula stays pretty consistent. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Thank you so much, you guys. That was fantastic. Yeah. So good. Thank you all. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, Head to reboot.io slash podcasts to explore past and present seasons of our podcast conversations. To help more people find and enjoy the Reboot podcast, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. You can find our step-by-step guide for leaving reviews in the show notes of each episode. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash signup so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. mean to build organizations of belonging? How can you build an organization safe enough for the whole human to show up at work? In Reboot's newest email course, we discover the hidden power and privilege that can pervade an organization and consider what is needed beyond the HR trends and into matters of the heart to create and sustain real places of belonging for all employees. Compiled and created by the Reboot team of coaches and facilitators, this course is a conversation around the question, How can you contribute to creating an inclusive culture of belonging? The course will unfold via a series of six emails full of content, one email per day over six days. And we hope by the end of the course, you have a sense on how you can relate to belonging to yourself, how you create belonging in your communities, work, home, and life. To learn more and to sign up for free, head to reboot.io slash inclusivity.